Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 421st episode of Constructed Chrism. I am your host, Mason, and remember my two co-hosts, Abe and Spencer. And Abe, what is your favorite card from the original Theros set? My favorite card from the original Theros set is a crow and horse. I love that. Spencer, what's your favorite card from the original Theros set? Dude, you should have definitely asked me this beforehand. Uh, Just answer. Go with your vibes. I don't even remember what cards are in that. We both know it's Nespian Asp. We both know it's Nespian Asp. I, I was thinking Nespian Asp. I was getting Nespian Asp <laughs> vibes from him. You know, if you if you had asked me when the set came out, you would have gotten a different answer. But it, it's it's probably Xenagos Reveler. I, that card's sick. All right. Well, that's their voices. Now you know. My favorite card from that set, Nespian Asp. It's a four or five reach. It gets bigger. It's got all the snake heads. Dope. Anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about today. This is a little intro. We're going to be going over our re-review of Shutsunuka Panda. Also, kind of looking back on the year of Standard. We've been doing these uh, every time we got close to a new set getting released, so it's time to do it for Shutsunuka Panda because we are getting dangerously close to Dominaria United uh, being released and coming onto the world. Everything's really exciting, but first, we do need to do Always Improving. That is the main point of the show, and I'll uh, take the lead today. And my uh, Always Improving moment was looking for ways to kind of abuse and use new cards um, and trying to really get that sort of thought process going again, because it happens around every time in your previous season where I need to have um, articles and stuff like that come out for card kingdom. And so I need to look at cards and need to try and find exciting things. And also just like with, you know, tournaments coming up, it's always good to try and stay ahead of these things and be on top of it. So why is bring moments really trying to look for like lots of ways to abuse and use new cards. So like, whether that's Liana the Veil and Red Black and Grease Fang, or whether that's um, finding the third path, a big card I've been trying to think about a lot of, which is the new Saga that kind of lets you Snapcast your Mage on the last chapter and then it mills some stuff, you know. And just looking at all of those sort of things and trying to figure that out, it's been a really interesting thought process, and it's always good to kind of work on that. And it's something that I don't think I work enough on in Magic, and it would be really helpful because deck building, I think, is very hard in Magic, and... Is something that uh, we should always be trying to work on, but it really only gets worked on when there are tournaments that need to happen or new sets come out. And uh, you know, I'm a little guilty of that myself now, but you know, still working on it here. So that's my always improving moment. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, I think the previous season is always a really good opportunity, especially with cards that are like reprints, like Liliana. I know I've spent a lot of time thinking about like how a powerful card like that can really can really make a fit uh, into formats. My always improving moment this week uh, is kind of similar in the sense that it's really just working on taking opportunity uh, because of previous season to work on some baseline fundamentals before I really get into playing a lot more. Um, a lot of times I try to keep sharp by playing a lot of limited, but that hasn't really been the case because of the Streets of New Kind of draft format being kind of a kind of a dud. And so say garbage. It's garbage. It was fun for like. 15 drafts or so and like you know it had its moments but uh the real thing that i've been focusing on is i've been playing uh i've been going back to playing more eternal tcg uh just to grind into myself like more of the fundamentals of what is a bare bones race situation trading off creatures um you know evaluating the board state and and like making sure that i'm making good attacks and good blocks and valuing creatures really well because i found that that's something that um can always benefit on a refresher from looking at those kinds of combats is like 
really good just for engaging your basic fundamental magic brain. And it's something that I find is like almost a little harder to get out of things that aren't like very bare bones draft formats in magic these days. Cause so many things do so many things. Like even the masters format is kind of more about uh, like your bombs and your, uh, and your, your big flashy things than, you know, just basic, you know, high, like good quality. Okay. Attacking and blocking magic. And so I've been working on that through, uh, through drilling it through this other game. That's awesome, dude. I, I, while you were talking, we have a discord between the three of us that we kind of talk about the shows that we're like thinking about doing and like the upcoming shows where we just kind of communicate and actually put hashtag team fundies as a future topic. We've done like back to basics episode on the show before, but I actually think that like being hashtag team fundamentals, that's a huge thing in like other games where like understanding your fundamentals is so important. It, and it's funny because like um, we've gotten some some comments about us talking using other games as a catalyst to, for discussion on this show, and I actually think that what you just did is is a perfect example of why it's important, right? Where like understanding what you can learn from something like you know we'll take Mason like from Valorant or you from from this from Eternal or um, you know I I've done this a lot with with um, Hearthstone. In fact. A lot of people found Hearthstone a lot easier if they'd already played Magic. I think understanding fundamental fundamentals of your gameplay is really helpful. And it is probably why you have so, so much success using Draft as that kind of pillar. So, I love that one, Abe. I'll yeah. go next. Oh, go ahead, Abe. Yeah, I think that if you're ever in a spot where you're looking to kind of make sure that you're keeping up with your fundamentals, limited because the games are so low powered, it's so easy to make sure you're you're not leaving those kinds of points on the table. You might not see if you're playing a deck that doesn't get involved in the in the gritty uh, grittiness of of attacking blocking magic. And so, definitely, definitely a good thing for for everyone to be on top of. Yeah. So for me, um, I kind of had two to pick from this week. Um, I almost picked a different one, but I, I really had done a lot of this, and so I wanted to talk about this. Um, during our Pioneer Mega Ranks episode, um, I, I took a pretty clear stance that I believed that Black Red was the best deck in the format. Um, I posted in our Discord for our patrons about, like, the decks that I was considering for upcoming RCQs. I have three upcoming Pioneer RCQs, um... And after talking with Abe and Michaela, I've really settled on Black Red. And I took both of their lists, took the things that I liked from them, and have something I really like. In fact, um, for what it's worth, Abe, one of my teammates on the cut has uh, taken your list to multiple local events, um, has never lost more than one round, uh, won some events. And honestly, like, I think that something that both Abe was doing and Michaela was doing that was really important is playing Hazaret. Um, the, one of the things that uh, Abe was doing that I really liked for obvious reasons to Abe was playing Bloodthirsty Adversary. Um, but honestly, like, I actually got into a conversation with a teammate just this week about Goblin Dark Dwellers. And Mason, you and I had talked about Goblin Dark Dwellers. And holy crap, 
is Bloodthirsty Adversary, everything Goblin Dark Drillers wishes that it was in that deck. Uh, it is wild. Uh, I had a game even today where I got to play Bloodthirsty Adversary uh, just on two, like went one drop, two drop, three drop, Hazaret, uh, play another spell, like just Goblin Dark Dwellers is not the answer to this deck, but Bloodthirsty Adversary might actually be a great answer for this deck. You know, uh, it also lets you play things like Coligan's Command more. It lets you play things, you know, your Go Blanks more. It, the number of times where it's just like a 3-3 three, three Thought Seize Haste is a lot. Like, it's that a lot of the time. Um, because of this, it's made me think about like Liliana. Uh, even this week I was texting Abe about Liliana and Hazaret, and I think Abe, you called it a what? Uh, over a Splinter Twin situation? You did, you called it a Splinter Twin situation. And I actually just completely agree. Um, you know, I had, I had a big thread when Liliana was spoiled. Sam Black responded to it, but like, Liliana just is such an easy replacement for Graveyard Trespasser. It's insane. Like, the, the level that Liliana just beats it heads up makes your deck go in a specific situation or direction i should say uh is, is really powerful and I, i've been thinking about that a lot i already have a deck list uh once liliana is out i will post in the discord and then also just think about cyborg plans like i you know for example uh you know i while i'm you know hyping up mason and a for our conversations like there were some disagreements that i had for example i think kalidas out of the sideboard is quite strong um i think that uh, you know, a card that I'm testing right now is like Glorybringer and understanding like my sideboard plans has been really important to me as I'm really trying to understand like, okay, what am I expecting out of the Utah RCQs? And then also like, where can I hedge and really filling out that, that, uh, RPG sheet that we talked about in a previous episode of what do I want my list to look like? Where do I want to put my points? So that's, that's. I have not worked on a deck this hard um, outside of like the Storm the Festival deck that I post about all the time on YouTube and stuff in a long time. Um, and it, it feels a lot higher stakes because I, I, I'm already going to Atlanta whether I qualify or not playing in those LCQs, but um, it, it, it would be cool to not have to do that. So That's awesome, yeah. Hopefully you can dodge that. It is. We are getting dangerously close to the new season, so uh, it's uh, the pressure is on. I'm excited to see how everyone goes, and hopefully we'll see you two get your invite here very, very soon. But you know what else we get to invite? All those awesome patrons with a shout-out on the show. Uh, one of the ways you can support the show is go to patreon.com slash ccmtg, and one of the benefits of that is you get to ask questions that we'll answer at the end of the show, get to know things that are coming up, you get to be involved in Discord, which is really awesome, the community there, and when you're a new patron, you get Shout out on the show. So, Nicholas, thank you so much for becoming a patron of the show. Spencer, got any housekeeping for this week? Uh, I have a couple things to talk about. First first of all, we got to talk about our sponsor. Um, in fact, if you didn't get a chance to see, we did full coverage of the last uh, 1K as well as the RCQ. The RCQ is up here on the YouTube channel. If you're watching there, you can watch the entire thing. Watch Crystal take it down with Blue Red Merc Tide. Um, Super spoilers. Awesome. I know for real, right? Uh, I <laughs> yeah. was actually just going to say that right as I said it. Uh, but uh, honestly, like it's been really fun to do coverage. 
again this weekend i'll be working with patty b host of my other podcast to cover pioneer um and you can check it out check out our sponsor like uh, we we did this this 1k plus uh, this this half k for people people have already told me like they've already got their eyes on what cards they want to buy from the store like gingridly high is legitimately like the best place in utah right now for competitive magic players and check them out uh really quickly we got some feedback uh, on our patreon and i want to explain some stuff so your discord invite for if you're a patron of five dollars or more comes in your welcome message uh, that will either that will appear on patreon it will also get, give you an email when you sign up it, if that email could be in your spam but if you actually just go to patreon you should have a welcome message from us that if you are a patron of five dollars or more will include that if you don't get it feel free to ping me if you can't find it uh just on patreon and i'll send it and then additionally if you didn't know um every week that we do these shows where we were uh we do these live streams you have early access to those episodes it's part of your your deal on being a patron of five dollars or more i got both people said hey i'm supposed to have early access the post on patreon that uh is the live stream you can just click that post to get that early access you get bonus content by getting the free show as well but that that is a huge benefit that people have asked me about like hey where's the early access um that's just right there so thank you to those who gave me the feedback to let me announce it on the show and then also like i'm sorry that that wasn't clear like we could have done better on that so 100 percent, but that out of the way it's time to do the main topic for today that's the street of new capena re-review so if you have started listening to us since streets of new capena has come out which we know a bunch of y'all have just started listening the way we do set reviews is a little different than most of those shows so we have four categories and we pick two cards per category so in these re-reviews while we're talking about some other stuff that happened and we might mention cards from other categories we predominantly look at our sleepers which are cards that at the time that the preview and the episode was being recorded did not have a lot of hype uh, and people weren't really interested in talking about it. So a good example of that from the most recent set would be like Ledger Shredder, where a lot of people weren't talking about that card. It's a card we think is good. We'll mention in that section. And then we also go over our hits, which, as you might expect, are like your normal one and two or threes from other shows when they do their set reviews. You know, And we'll talk about those cards that we think are going to make a big impact. So we like to do these re-reviews for a couple of reasons. One, it's pretty interesting just to kind of see how things have played out and gives us a good way to talk about the formats in general and at large and see how things have changed. And it's also a great way to learn from some of these cards and some lessons, because a lot of times you have thoughts and ideas behind why stuff is good. Like I mentioned in my always improving segment, but they often don't play out that way where they play out maybe differently than you thought. And so this is a great way to go back through and do that. And let's start our sleepers with Abe's first one, which I think we were all pretty big on, but Abe got first the gun here and Abe, what is your first sleeper and how did it turn out? Yeah, my first sleeper was a little card called Unlicensed Hearse, and that card has just turned into an absolute, like, format and threat-defining sideboard card in both Pioneer and Modern, um, kind of, like, for a while being the most impactful card in, like, the Blue-Red Merktide Mirrors, um, being kind of a catch-all plan that decks could include, no matter their game plan, as long as they had some creatures in their deck to both apply pressure to the graveyard and pressure to the opponent. Um, was really 
pleasantly surprised this card like served as exactly what I kind of saw it being something that applied pressure to the graveyard was versatile enough to 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 be a part of the equation for people um, and just continue to show up. I think it's like a super simple card that delivered, and I think that kind of by being simple, it it flew under the radar. I I actually think you're underselling this card. Abe. I think that this card has seen legacy play. Like it is. It is it, it is very possible, and we'll talk about a lot of cards in the set, that this is, might be actually be the best card in the set. This might be the only vehicle that sees Legacy play, if I'm not mistaken. Like, legitimately the only one. I think I've seen some Reckoner Bankbusters uh, float around in some four-color decks. Okay. I think that was, like, at... Uh... <laughs> at Pittsburgh, I saw someone have register that card in the, sure. in the Legacy 5K. But, yeah, I think that... You know, since since our Lord Smuggler's Copter, uh, there have not been many vehicles with uh, the same kind of pedigree. And I think the fact that it's just so generically applicable to a game of Magic that, you know, it interacts with something difficult to interact with, or it just scales pretty well as a as a vehicle over time, were both things I was pointing to, you know, back when we talked about it. And I think it, it really panned out that way. I don't know if you guys have anything to add. Yeah, I remember a lot of conversations with other people about this, and I had friends who were not as high on licensed hearse. And like, oh, they're like, it's going to be fine or whatever, but like, I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. And I think one of the big things that people kind of forgot is how different it plays out than Scoos in the early game when you don't have to sink that mana into it, right? And, like, that's, like, a really big, like, should be, like, a warning sign or, like, a lights-on moment where it's like, oh, I get to do this thing repeatedly, and it's targeted, and I don't have to spend mana. And the way, you know, we mentioned so many formats, but, like, the way this card's worked its way in the main decks and things like Red Black because, like, it's actually just good against mono green and it's good against the is it and it's good in the mirror and like there's just all these spots where it's like actively good and other spots it just turns into a big creature as the game goes on so uh this card has been super impressive to me and i mean it's either this or you know ledger shredder or like we can you know tall spades spades whatever we don't typically talk about dual lands because they're often actually the best thing and the triumphs have had impact in a lot of formats, but of the spells, I mean, this and Ledger Shredder have to be the two best ones. Yeah, I and... think I think hands down, you it would be very very difficult to say that those were not the hits. Yeah, definitely. Well, what, what was your other one, uh, Abe? My other one was Professional Facebreaker, which was the uh, the menace creature that made tokens when your creatures connected with the opponent, made treasure tokens, and then you could sack treasure tokens to kind of like draw the like impulse draw the top card of your deck um i think that this card didn't really pan out because just the the way that standard has been kind of made itself more around hinata and magma opus and two man interactive spells that mean that just playing a two three that needs some time to get going to generate advantage was not not really doable uh and like competing with Fable the Mirror Breaker on rate is just really, really difficult for any card that's trying to kind of show you, oh, you know, we'll make some treasure, we'll maybe generate some card advantage, uh, you know, over the course of the game, maybe this will, like, start to really grind your opponent out. Fable just does that a lot better than this card, and I think that it kind of got got choked out and lost the opportunity. Oh my gosh. This is the best sleeper to... Well, maybe one of the best sleepers on our list. I fully believe that this card is still a sleeper i've played a ton of this card in standard i have won a ton with this card in standard uh whether it be jund or green red or mono red 
I think that this card has still has the complete potential that Abe you saw in it. Um, I, I, the one of the reasons that I think this is like because of the the context of standard, which is what you're saying, like this these Sonata decks, it just pushed out a lot of three mana cards. Um, I think I, I think that even Fable of the Mirror Breaker, in a lot of ways, does not have the power in standard that it has in other formats because of this honestly egregious standard deck in my opinion uh i i know i'm like the standard guy on this podcast but their, their standard didn't get the attention that it normally gets because it's not standard season right rcqs are about pioneer modern right now but there there are actually pretty big problems in the standard that would cost it. so one standards not getting the attention it deserves where like Abe, I assume you didn't think this card was going to be like pioneer playable, uh, but I I think I think this card is a perfect sleeper and actually after rotation I would not be surprised to see this be a huge player. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I do remember I was looking up the card. I believe Autumn Burchett uh, actually played it at the Pro Tour in like a four color aggro deck. So it has seen some play. Obviously, that deck did not stick around after the Pro Tour, but it is a very interesting card, and it's pretty easy to see how it might... Um, maybe trick isn't the best word, but, like, be pretty enticing. That, like, wow, it's like, how are you not talking about this one? So it's going to be interesting. This is one that, you know, next year when we do our, like, big retrospective and we look back at all the sets before rotation, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this one kind of plays out because, uh, you know, like Spencer just mentioned, this still a lot of potential for the card and like when the rotation happens a lot could change up with this card so it's gonna be interesting to see i don't have a lot to say on it right now because it is one of those things that's like it hasn't really done much now but maybe when time goes on it'll change and you know it's sacrifice of treasure ability is like really strong so like if we get more busted treasure cards that could come up in like the way off future in something like pioneer even though like spencer mentioned you did talk about it for standard so yeah I do think yep. I do think Treasure Red is a deck that I have my eye on. Treasure Red and Treasure mm-hmm. Rule, for what it's worth, are two decks that I have my eye on right at rotation for standard. So, Spencer, what is your first sleeper? Yeah, my first sleeper was Dahlia's Greeters. I I think this is a pretty good one. Um, it's seen play in a lot of different decks, whether it be standard or uh, Explorer slash Pioneer. Um, I I thought this card would be a little bit better than it is. Um, one of the reasons that this card suffers, which might change, by the way, with the new set, kind of looking at spoilers, is there's not a lot of turns, not a lot of cards that are really good in standard right now, for example, that put multiple creatures into play at once. That actually is going to change. There, There's a lot of spoilers that, that switch that. It still has seen play across standard and other formats, so it's like a good sleeper. But, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm a little disappointed. I, I thought this card was a lot better than its performance. I don't know what you guys think. It's interesting. It, I mean, so I, I remember when the previous season was happening, the thing everyone kept saying is, Winoda, obviously, let's move on, talk about other places, right? Because that was, like, the spot where a lot of people thought it was going to be. And Winoda ended up getting banned in Pioneer, right? So, like, that does kind of slice of the card. But I remember there was some real, like, debate on whether you're even supposed to play it in Winoda which was always interesting because it seemed like such a huge value, but it kind of only does its thing when things are already going well. So I have to agree with you that I feel like 
you need some cards like there's that creature that makes a uh, like a one one token ETB. The, the raise the set. alarm creature is like pretty yeah. Good card. Yeah, and so like stuff like that would be pretty interesting to see how that's gonna work with this card going forward in standard, and maybe seeing some like go wide decks that can really like you know gain you a treasure and the counter in the same turn, you know, and just stuff like that and. Yeah. really interesting to see. Early in Standard, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was like a, a Naya deck that was like a Naya token deck that like played the Naya charm, this card, the cat, the cat creature, the cat maker thing, like uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Like th- there's definitely enough cards where this card stays good. And the thing is, is like, it's not like this card hasn't seen play. It's good. Uh, it's just maybe not as good as it looked on paper, but also like there's a reason that treasure enters tapped. Like there's there's stuff happening there. Yeah, I think that the curve of Gallagher's and the Madrin Fane, and then like turning that tapped treasure token into like a three one or two two, and then getting your additional trigger off of that. That's definitely something that is a little too too powerful to be ignored, especially as the card pool really shrinks with rotation. Uh, I just think it's a pretty difficult ask, especially when the format's big, for a two-drop that has to stick around for you to resolve another creature, because those are so traditionally the cards that struggle the most when there's the most options for how to deal with them. Yeah, my next card, for what it's worth, uh, I think it's still a sleeper. It actually goes with one of the cards that they had in Professional Base Breaker. I have Bullhound. Uh, I played a ton of this card. I still think this is a sleeper. This card is... This card's really good. Like, if this card does not see standard play at rotation, people did not try hard enough. Like, I've played a ton of this card. I played a ton of different mono-red decks. And I fully expect Treasure Red to be level zero for the next format. I, I have no doubt as somebody that's played it a ton. Um, I, here's the thing, is that just... The thing about Jeskai Hanada is that it eliminates so much of the early game by itself so quickly that it makes decks like this not matter. And the truth is, is that... Uh, Goldhound does a lot to fix a lot of the problems that Abe actually mentioned with uh, Basebreaker, where it both gets to act as a treasure, like a turn one ramp spell, to let you actually play more three drops. So, like, for example, you could find a split of Chandra, uh, the the Facebreaker, and the um, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, because you just, for some reason in red, get a one mana ramp spell. Additionally, uh, I is it confirmed that we're getting Lana War Elves in this set? It's not confirmed? People just are saying that? Okay. That's good to know. I like that you're all nodding so nobody can hear you on the, the, <laughs> the audio podcast. Uh, but I, I, I would guess that there's some form of a treasure deck just because of the pure number of, what was it, two sets that treasure mattered, that that will happen. I think this is still a great sleeper. 
I think that Hanada, just like Abe's card, kind of pushed it out. What's the other treasure set? Sorry, I, I'm my like card. The sets that are leaving standard is so, so blurred in my of, mind because no, COVID. you're okay, dude. It's it's hard, man. Uh, it's so Zendikar and Strix Neon, Neon Dynasty also has a bunch of treasure cards. Okay, but but so but the card the sets leaving again they are Zendikar, Strixhaven, Kaldheim, uh, Afr, right? Forgotten Realms. Those are the four. Yep. Yeah. So the okay. the the, sure. the two the two Innistrad sets are staying. Mm-hmm. Which do you, I don't think either of them have any treasure cards, right? No, no. not that I can. Not, not specifically. Neon, Neon Dynasty had a, quite a few treasure cards, mm-hmm. and then uh, obviously this set has a ton of treasure cards. Yeah. Um, sure. Additionally, one of the reasons that I really like this card, uh, it's not a card that's on the set review, but I'll actually mention it. Uh, it's the two mana. It's the like uh, uh, the two mana artifact. It's red and one. It's a charge scanner. Every artifact that enters the battlefield. Uh, it's like a. Trend it's like dragon spark engine or something. Yeah, like that. yeah I know the one. I actually think the card's insane, and I actually think that like treasure red will be a huge thing because of that card, and this card is a huge part of that, um, as well as the Neon Dynasty. 2-2 that, like, is a goblin guide. Like, there's a ton of stuff. I, I think this is still a great sleeper. Yeah, I think I think that red one-drops are, are always good sleepers to line up on because there's only so many good red one-drops you can really fit into, into a format, and if there's good things for you to be getting out of turn ahead uh, after getting your, your points of damage, which is basically what we talked about on the set review episode. Is that it, it's got that potential, and I think that potential is still very much there, even especially as the card pool shrinks for it to get more of a chance to shine. I just think that the menace on this card is insane still. Like, it just probably can... It can be a lightning bolt ramp spell, if it wants to be. Yeah, the keywords keep on coming on that one. Yeah, I agree. I don't have uh, much to add. I, it is interesting that I have not seen... Anyone try it in Pioneer Red? Where the one of the things about Pioneer Red is that they have so many powerful three drops. So it's interesting to not see like Mason, anyone try have, to go from don't one to pet three. Me, man, you're like you're messing with my brain right now, and I don't. Your like... annex will trigger it too. You, you know, you play it later than annex oh with the Seder. Oh my gosh! Abe's <laughs> reaction to it is so good. <laughs> little slide over our guy Seder. But no, I, I don't have uh, much to add on that. Um, my first sleeper is Maestro's Ascendancy, which was the Grixis Ascendancy that lets you cast spells from the graveyard. If I remember correctly, I was interested about this one as maybe something I'd just think in Standard, but predominantly in Pioneer as a way to get extra copies of cards like Coco or Rally into your deck um, that would typically like want to do that sort of thing by having a lot of creatures in the graveyard stuff to my understanding i have not seen anyone ever play this card um i i think the thing that i kind of knew and probably even mentioned in the episode it's, it's hard to remember exactly it's, it's been so long ago with strict new Capena now is that this card just requires a good amount of setup and asks like a lot of you where it's like you need to have an instant sorcery that you want and you need to have creatures in the graveyard and you've got to play this and you got to find time to do all of that and it's just a lot of hoops 
to get what's a reasonable payoff, you know, if you can do this a lot, but it's just like jumping through a bunch. Spencer, what do you have to say on it? I love this as a sleeper. I don't think you're wrong. Right now, this card is legal in Standard, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, Vintage, Commander, Alchemy, Explorer, and Brawl. I believe that this card will get banned at some format at some point mm-hmm. because it will get forgotten about. Somebody will bust it wide open. I think this is, you cannot hold yourself accountable for this sleeper. And I believe that either this card or an enabler will get banned. I, uh, for Streets of New Capenna, I made a complete playables list that I put from the Discord. I will do it again for this next set. This was on my playables list. Abe looked like he was about to murder me as I talked. So I wanted to talk. I just want to know what time frame we can put on <laughs> at what point this card will get banned that constitutes forever uh, so that I can take the other side of that. I think this card just has a real issue that decks that want an effect like this. If you want to do something really broken and powerful, you don't want to do it once turn, every turn, over the course of a game. Uh, you want to do it all at once. And if you want to enable it, it requires you to be both making creatures to sacrifice for your spells and having this enchantment. Like Mason was saying, I think it's just too much going on at once. And I think I was even skeptical of it on the on the Pick 2 episode for its ability to be a part of um, a part of the... like rally coco stuff and that's for me remembering playing with jace friend's prodigy which is something you could hit off coco and rally all right here's that had had trouble give me one decade give me modern pioneer and legacy i will give you every non-rotating format that is currently existing in magic over 10 years you name the price a thousand dollars Oh, can I am I really good for a thousand dollars ten years from now? I've got to be right. You are. <laughs> you want to do less? Yeah. Do With less. inflation too. Yeah. A thousand dollars inflation. With nothing. inflation, that's like seven dollars. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm just gonna collect a buyout in like four years anyway. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, deal. <laughs> I gotta collect a buyout. I don't even know <laughs> this is gonna demonetize us, but let's go. <laughs> no, they don't check out of the first fifteen, but. uh yeah, I think I remember. I mean, like, part, like this card was really leaning on cards like Citrus Supplier to kind of go the distance, and there's just nothing right now that has all of, makes all of these hoops worth jumping through currently. So, you know, we'll have to see how time goes on that card because it does have a lot of powerful things about it, and we just need one card that's like the Kamigawa Mirror Box, right? Where you remove the legendary rule, you remove once per turn on a card when you like target it, right? So, like, you just need something like that, Abe. Yeah, and you have a young Pyromancer, and you've constructed Past in Flame. Congratulations. <laughs> That's right, baby. Let's talk about the other card, though. The Tenacious Undies, better known as Tenacious Underdog. Uh, this is my other sleeper. Uh, I-, I think this card has basically done what I thought it was going to do, just played a, a, you know, a role in aggressive decks that interact and go down. The real sort of uh, revelation that I had when I was looking back over this is that... Um, it actualized a lot of things I thought about red black red black in pioneer where you know I mentioned how like you disrupt in pressure. Uh and I've now come to the conclusion that red black mid-range is just mono black aggro from original pioneer, um, with a fancy new name. So that's all the deck does. It just I don't disrupts know. I and pressures. I, I think that it disrupts in pressures, but I think that it's a lot more mid- I think it's endgame is so different. I was just it, it, I endgame right? is very different. I feel like you are underselling your sleeper in a weird way, like 
Abe, uh, no, I'm just telling you, it's, you it's good. It's good. Esper homeboys in standard. You and I are both black red homeboys in. Uh, this is like. I like how I don't get involved in the black red homeboys. Yet I've played more 5Ks than anyone here with red red black. <laughs> Why can't I be a homeboy? It's delicious. To be, to be fair, did I know that you played a single one? Yeah, we've talked about it. All right. Well. You talked about how my deck was one weekend. That's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, but I had all the cards from my red black deck, Mason. Mm, Hold on. Touche. I, I, Good luck in the rest. <laughs> Good luck, Good luck in the rest. But, but legitimately, like, <laughs> this card, I'm going to say, this card is, like, the better version of Putrid Leech for mid-range decks. Where yeah, I'm Googling Putrid Leech. Oh, my God. To <laughs> pressure your opponent in, like, a real way. And then also, like, be this way inappropriate, like, in threat. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting if I can, if I can jump in here, Spencer. I, I know it's something we talked about, especially regarding this card, as to where it might see a lot of application was not just as being a generically good creature with some late game value that allows you to have kind of this hero power introduced into the game, but also that no one has played this with something like Prized Amalgam or in, in any of these graveyard synergy decks that felt like it could have been a really good home for an easy, repeatable enabler Actually, of that effect. we have a match on coverage for the game grid. I'm, I could be wrong. Uh, maybe we didn't post it to the YouTube, but I actually think that somebody did have this in That's their awesome. modern dredge deck. I I think for what it's worth, Abe, not to lean too much into next week's uh, preview episode, but like the Urborg's Lurgoyf, like the Sultai, like creature, like dredge, the dredge deck, I think will be like have a shot in the arm with that card. And so, like, I think that plus uh, Prize and Algo is something that I was like, I have sketched out actually um, for yeah. my article next week. And so, yeah, I think, I think the card's just like a really good solid role player, does a great job of pressuring people and then being a way to use your mana in the late game and generate some cards and suppression. Yeah, it's kind of just been Castle Lothwain, but it's also <laughs> your additional like Blood Tithe Harvesters, which is crazy to think yeah. that Castle Lothwain of all cards is the card that needed a 2022 update yeah. after yeah. it came out in Eldrain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to be fair, I Mason, we can go on to your hits in just a second, but like, uh, I love role player cards. They're like my favorite cards. And this card specifically might be my favorite card in this set. Heck yeah. It's a sweet one. I, I really like I really like playing with it. And I really like saying the tenacious undies and then like raising your eyebrows when you say it. That's not just my favorite to do. Uh but let's move on to our hits. So once again, if you haven't listened to the set reviews before, hits are like you know the cards that we expected to be like some of the best cards in the set. Uh, typically there's an asterisk on like what format you know where it's a format refining card but these are kind of the ones or the twos you'd hear on a lot of other shows that do top 10 so my number one uh was i think i'm just technically reverse but we'll go with this one first this is elspeth resplendent which is the uh three and a white elspeth from streets new capenna um and i don't think this card's seen too too much standard play i remember seeing it as like sometimes a one of and some of the esper decks in the early week one week two stuff but I will say that actually in this last week, I have seen some blue-white players who are playing this with uh, Detention Sphere and Narset 3 as I, things to minus and go grab. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure this card just saw Modern and Pioneer play in the challenges this month. Which I don't I, think it saw Modern, did it? I think it... May, maybe I'm wrong. There, 
There were some... I, I was looking at some lists. I was like, oh my gosh, this card was one that I had forgotten existed. This looked caught. It might be actually the same deck you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe it was Pioneer, but I've seen some, like, you minus, you grab Narset, and Narset has a shield counter, your detention sphere has a shield counter. It's kind of, you know, protection a couple of places there. Um, but yeah, totally fine card. I'm interested to see how this one works into the new standard cycle. Like you mentioned, Hinata really changes what a lot of things are allowed to be and what are allowed to be about. And I think this card is like the one or two of top end for specifically standard, which is kind of where I saw it being. And it's kind of a, a good lesson on like looking at everything and like, okay, what's going to be allowed to be done in the format. And, you know, I think a lot of people missed on Hinata, especially at first. Um, so it's not surprising to see that like I missed this card there, but uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how it goes, but it is good. Just like a reminder to be like, Hey, what are the other things people are talking about doing? Because just because this is like a fine role player card doesn't mean it's going to definitely be a hit, um, which I, I thought it would be in the, in the context of standard. Yeah, I think the playability of like make disappear kind of did the Elspeth, but the like extreme playability of Dragon's Fire plus Hanada, like that blue red shell remaining so intact and, and unpressured, um, kind of made it so that playing both five mana sorcery speed things. And playing like my sleepers, playing three and two mana creatures that need to stick around, uh, both kind of got really, really harshed by by Hinata being on top of the format. Spencer, do you have anything you want to say? Where we get to? Yeah, go on. Awesome. Well, my other card was Black Market Tycoon, which is the uh, red green cat rogue that makes a treasure token, and then on your upkeep, you lose two life for each treasure you control. Um, so we talked about it uh, in the set review, and like kind of my pitch is that it gives your four mana spells or your five mana spells Phyrexian mana for you know playing them a turn early because you can jump ahead and start casting them if you're willing to let the treasure sit around in your upkeep, or you can use it like a land or elf. And um, this sort of card, I don't think saw too too much play. I, I think it did see I'm some play with the base sure breaker. It saw Pro Tour top eight as well as another teamer deck. The teamer like dragon's treasure deck. I, I'm pretty sure this card actually dominated yeah. the, like the first month of release. Yeah, but it fell off like very quick. So one one thing that's kind of interesting, maybe worth talking about, is like for me, um, a hit will often last throughout the entirety of its life versus doing well in early, doing well in an event or early events, right? So like while Black Market Tycoon did top eight of pro tour and uh i i do believe it saw some play in the dragons deck and i also think that uh, the autumn deck i mentioned earlier with bank uh face breaker played this card as well because it was four colors um it is like not lived up to the expectations that i personally had for it which was to be kind of the stable thing but it's unclear to me how much that's tied into the hinata problem once again slash esper problem versus like general power level i think it has to do with the hinata more so because like spencer did mention there was some finishes with the deck um and you know worst case scenario it is the standards version of like paradise druid right like this is kind of like that card i played this card with another card well actually i played it with all of the other treasure cards mentioned but uh the fact that you can just play professional face breaker with this card and just <laughs> go off is unbelievable i have done it i do I have no doubt that this card is good. Sure. Abe, is anything you want to say on it, or you just want to hop into your heads? Uh, yeah, we can hop right into my heads. Um, my first hit 
was Luxior Yaz Gift, where I got burned by the belief that Urza Saga could fix all problems. Even the fact that the card was just really bad when you drew it. I gotta be clear that uh, I also got burned by this card because I defended you, Abe. So I wanted to be clear that I... Sometimes also... you get burned. Sometimes you should have just looked at Ledger Shredder and been like, what's that bird doing? But instead, uh, you know, you fall for the second best mythic rare combo card for a random two-card combo uh, involving cards from Modern Horizon set uh, in Streets of New Capenna. So, I, worth it. I don't know, it, it just... I think that Devoted Druid just never could... All the pieces didn't really work together. I didn't really see that until me and Mason played each other in a vintage or in a modern rotisserie draft where this was a part of his deck and it just looked really weird every time it all came together. Um, but it just didn't, didn't really come together, that combo. It's still out there and I think there's still a world where this card only gets better the more things that are printed and it's still a unique effect um, to magic and so it has potential and will still remain tutorable by Urza Saga uh, for the foreseeable future but it's just not good. I did lose to this card the other day on Arena. Uh, I don't remember if it was Explorer. I think it was Explorer. It had did they attack Explorer. you with a Nickel Bolas? What happened? It was like a... I don't even remember what Planeswalker it was on, but like it was a giant creature, like a seven-seven Kiora. It, no, it was not green. It was a it was a white deck, but I lost to it real bad. I was <laughs> or like, the Spark Kiora is just riding register on steroids <laughs> in this card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy, um, that's a brew. <laughs> Hold up, we got we got yeah. up write that down. Someone yeah. write that down. <laughs> uh, yeah, my other. My other hit was Giada Font of Hope, and I think that this card is actually performing about my expectations. What I said about this card was that it was going to immediately slot into um, the Pioneer Angels deck and the uh, like Explorer slash uh, Historic slash, I don't even know if there's an Alchemy Angels deck. Anyway, it was going to fit right in and fill a gap that was much needed to be filled in the uh, Angels decks, and it has done exactly that. Those decks just have not been top performing uh, in their in their various formats. Have you played against Black White Angels ever? Because this is the most annoying card in the world in Black White Angels. It's like you're you're not prepared for that deck because like it's bad, and then it shows up in this card. You're like, I have to kill this, and then they play like any other angel. You're like, I'm in so much trouble. This is so stupid. I actually think that this is a total hit for those decks while those decks are not good. Ew. Ew, why do I have to kill yeah. this? Why do it's, I have to kill this? Good. Yeah, so so I think it's performing exactly to where where I, I thought it would. I don't know if Mason, you have anything else to add. Uh not too too much. I mean like like you said, it's in a big role there. I was gonna say that the Luxor stuff, uh it's weird because like when it first came out, like I put it, like, in a Gruul deck, and then I think someone got, like, ninth in a challenge with that or something. But, like, there was, like, some weird rumblings about it, and it looked like it was going to be part of, like, a one-of in kind of, like, a fair Saga deck. And then it was just those decks are so hard to exist in current Modern. They just can't outvalue the other decks that it kind of fell aside. And, like, the Vivian combo from the set decided to actually be the thing that had some Modern application. So it, it was interesting. Um but yeah, I think these are two cards that, you know, I would not 
doubt the CG auto is just going to scale with the format of Pioneer, you know. And while Angels might never be, this might be the best we ever see Angels, like right now ish, you know, maybe the next six months. Um, but like, I think that it will just always be kind of in those. So I think they were pretty good hits. And I, I think there were some interesting lessons to be learned about, like, you know, sometimes you just need cards that like do these very unique things. And it's a, it's a good lesson. Spencer, what was your first hit? My first hit was Workshop Work. Workshop Warchief. This card has seen play in Pioneer, Explorer, and Standard, whether it be Mono Green, Green Red. Um, card's fine. Like, it almost always appears as a cyborg card. The problem with Pioneer and uh, Explorer is that there's this 6 6 5 mana unbeatable card that kind of takes its spot in a lot of spots. Um,. That being said, uh, this card has seen play. It's about as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, I actually think that it could be a huge role player in standard after rotation. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Workshop War Chief is a hit. I'm not surprised to see it. You don't know what card I'm talking about, Mason, do you? I, I mean, I know. But like the listener yeah, might not know. Exactly. Oh yeah, the listener might not know about Elder Gargaroth, the big Garg. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I thought of Elder Gargaroth and literally thought that can't be it, so I no, kept it's thinking. That. It's that. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay, okay. okay, okay, okay. I right, got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Yeah, the um, Gargler. I, I do think that this card competes with Elder Gargaroth. I think there are formats where this card is actually better than Elder, um, and we actually have seen that them go in and out of each other in Pioneer um in sideboards and in standard this card is mostly seen sideboard play um i expect it to be a main deck standard card next rotation i i'm a little surprised i actually thought this card would see more play i've played this card a ton um i expect it to be like a four of good and it's not that it's like a a top end like two of three of type of good whether it's in your sideboard or your main deck. But, I don't know, it, it's, it's a good card. Yeah, it's one of the better things to copy with Fable that's, like, pretty easily yeah, castable in decks that just want to have some Fables lying around. I think if not for Titan of Industry, I could even see a world where some of the, like, uh, what is it, the, the like, Titan ramp uh, decks in Standard Blue, would have green, just green, instead green, of ramping teamer. so far over the top yeah. just capped there and, and made this their kind of engine to, to yeah I, the game. I think i think like i think the biggest version of this deck that you're talking about was like the teamer deck that did well for a while and I, this that deck did see have this card in the sideboard for a little while i, I just think that the be, it's once again the hanada problem where like this card was not going to see play in the Hanada format the way that it would normally see play. And it thus relegated it to the sideboard outside of those matchups. So once, I mean, Hanada is going to stay, but like the problem, the, the problem yeah, Magma Opus are gonna go, is going to Magma Opus, uh, Goldspan Dragon, like a lot of those cards are going to go away. And I, I think this card will continue to move up people's power rankings. Yeah, there was not a lot of dwarfed in the last format. There's a lot of mid-range fights going on, and it was not going far enough over the top to, to really wind up in that contention a lot of the time. Uh, my next hit is... Uh, I knew it was going to be a hit, and it also might be one of the most unfun cards to play against in Standard today. 
uh, if you are on the wrong end of this. And that's Rafine's Scheming Seer. Uh, yeah, this card's insane. I, I don't really have a lot of say. Like, if you're not playing the Esper deck and you want to... Uh, the body is just kind of annoying. The ward is annoying. Like the whole, the whole, the way that it synergizes with some of you know Mason's card in in uh, Tenacious Underdog. Like this, this card was this card was and is uh, everything the Esper deck wanted, and it's super annoying in standard. And also has seen play in Pioneer and the Greasebane Bane decks and like. I, this card is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, this card was, like, the best thing to do. Like, the curve of, like, any two-drop that does anything when it's in play, be that Luminarch Aspirant or uh, or Underdog, into this card on the play was just the best start in Standard for months. And it was, like, considered this is just going to be the best start in Standard, not going to be touchable for months. At, like, up to the... Including the Pro Tour... People were just like, yeah, Esper is the whole thing until it turned out that, that was kind of a, a trumpable strategy. But this card said we're going to play you're going to play an Esper deck that is just going to have the mana to cast this on turn three and put some stuff in play and you're gonna grind your opponent out, and it delivered exactly on that, perhaps in a way that was too much for some people. I, in a way I actually like while I love that Esper deck, I think it's really fun. It's like a Spencer deck. I actually think this card might be too good. I'm a little worried about it after rotation. I think I think that this will be hard to kill. I think it will not be fun. Yeah, I think it's it's the only card to me that really stands out on the list of things where that new don't want to talk too much about uh like dominaria previews, but the new black kill spell that kills something with combined power and toughness five or less. This is the thing that stands out in my mind of oh, I need to kill something that I usually can't kill for one mana that has five total stats on it the turn it comes down. I'm surprised there hasn't been more Thalia into this. Like this has a curve. This can be your year. Why are you trying to hurt me like this, Mason? This can be your year, Mason. Ward one turns into ward two oh real my quick. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, Thalia starts out suddenly. Thalia is uh oh a three two. You got one turn to dice it up. Uh oh four three. I, for what it's worth, like we're talking about what it did in standard, but I actually uh, the second I saw the esper version of respawn with this card i was like that's so much better than like a lot of what the esper deck was doing like that's that's like a real way to like win games without respawn yeah the card definitely goes off yeah it's interesting i i think the card is strong and good I'm curious to see how it interacts uh, with other cards going forward. It definitely just asks a lot of you in the mana base. It pays you off pretty strong uh, if you like, you know, meet that requirement. Um, and it's like got enough protection, enough oomph for like it doesn't have to attack. So like you know that stuff matters for it being a later turn play. So. I think uh, this card was a good hit, and I'm going to be curious to see how it plays out in the the year to come, in the Phyrexian year. That's what I'm labeling this year. So, well, that is going to do it for our Shoots Nuka Pena thing. Is there anything y'all want to talk about with Shoots Nuka Pena besides Ledger Shredder? I mean, we missed on Ledger Shredder. 
Uh, it is the most powerful or second most powerful card in the set, depending on how you want to look at it, I think, pretty unanimously, and has done a lot for a lot of decks in a lot of formats. Uh, and I would be surprised if it doesn't do something in Standard 2, although Standard, a lot harder to have the double spell turns, but you could see some you know, low-to-the-ground blue-red decks and do something there. So, any I, thoughts? I do have some thoughts. I think that we had a lot of cards that we were like, oh, like this could still see play. And I, I actually think that's true. I, I, I've i been doing... I, I personally, because of changing sponsors and stuff, have been collecting magic cards again. And I've been organizing my cards for Streets of New Capenna and Neon Dynasty, like my standard cards. And I've been like, oh my gosh, Streets of New Capenna and Neon Dynasty are so much better than the other. Like, whole... Like, these cards are so good. Um, and maybe that's just like being a multicolored set, right? But I I think that you should pay attention to like things like, you know, whether it be Treasure Jund or Treasure Red or Treasure Naya or, you know, like we talked about lots of cards that can fit into lots of spaces. And I do not think that the book is written on some of these cards. Um, and you you should consider... I don't know, maybe go buy a box of new <laughs> Yeah, I think um, if I could do it all again with what I know now and pick my cards, obviously Ledger Shredder would be uh, would be one of my hits. That card, um, that card just didn't. It was hard to evaluate how it read. You know, like how good is is conniving? How good is the body? How good is you know? How much are you really going to have two spells cast? How often is your opponent going to do that? But as soon as it started being played, and same with uh, with Unlicensed Hearse, just the amount of power behind those cards, I think I've started, and this is what I was telling you before the show, Spencer, we'll look in behind the scenes, it's going to blow your mind. I think we've entered an era where I'm going to propose the inverse rule of words. Where the more words, or the fewer words a card has on it, especially when it's a rare, the better that card probably is. Because if a card at this day and age is just allowed to get away with a couple lines of text, you have to know those couple lines of text are really good. I gotta say that uh, I appreciate that you've made my theory of words a rule. That's uh, that's very endearing and appreciated. Um, I'll have to think about that more. I, I actually want to jump on the Ledger Shredder train really quick. And I don't know if you guys felt this way, but... I think it wasn't until the first time that I tr- tried to double spell against Ledger Shredder that I was like, oh, this is, like, maybe the most annoying card in history. Like, actually, what is happening to me right now? Uh, obviously, some hyperbole there, but I had not thought about the number of times that I would want to double spell, whether it was to beat that card, whether it was to, I don't know, just, like, play a different game. Uh Double spelling is just already powerful, so having a card that punishes your opponent for doing this powerful thing was not something I expected. Yeah, the card looked a lot more, or a lot less like Esper Sentinel than it really kind of feels, you know? It's it's a card that really punishes your opponent for trying to do efficient things, and, uh, and also rewards you for doing them at the same time. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say is that I think that it would be hard to talk about this set without talking about Extraction Specialist, and how much impact that card has had compared to how little people talked about it. I know that um, my initial Pyre of Heroes Humans deck with Extraction Specialist kind of really 
got the ball rolling on people registering that card in a lot of other spaces, even just in the regular non-Pyre humans decks and Pioneer. But that card really, another card that's kind of simple in what it does, that really just has been extremely powerful and one of the cooler cards to see succeed out of the set um, that I would definitely say is probably one of the bigger sleepers. But this whole set has has a lot of cards like that where kind of get caught up looking at, oh, the man is really good. You get the you get the other tri-lands. You get these tricolor cards, you know, um, there's there's big flashy planeswalkers, but the the real bread and butter of the set, the just multi they're the monocolor cards that play roles and are flexible have been really, really impressive out of this set. And I think that that will only continue across all of the sets uh, that have come out that are staying in standard that are not rotating, that we'll see more of those cards kind of come to the forefront uh, over the next year. I think that is it for our main topic. It is time for our Patreon questions. So this is one of the perks of being the patron. If you go to patreon.com slash ccmg, you can support the show. It'll always be free, but you get some perks like we talked about earlier in the show. And right now, we ask it every week, what is your question to be read on the show? And pick one to talk about. This week's is from Nick. What is your current second choice to play in Modern and Pioneer? So I guess that means, hey, you probably have a deck you really like. You're playing a bunch in a format. You maybe think it's the best deck. What's the second thing you play? And uh, personally, I would say that my second choice um, for Modern is probably Amulet Titan um, with the blue splash that we're seeing these days for things like Hydra Crisis. Um, and then for Pioneer, I would say that it's a little up in the air, but I think Abaddon Grease Fang is actually quite good. And I that's my right now answer, but that might change in a day. So Abaddon Grease Fang is great. Uh, I think my two... If I wasn't playing Hammer Time Modern in a tournament, I would probably play Burn because that's who I am, and I just like to do that sometimes. And I haven't put in the the time yet to feel comfortable with a lot of the other four color killer decks, and I think that's be the only thing that pushed me off Hammer. Um, and then in Pioneer, if I wasn't playing Red Black, I would probably play. Uh, oh, what's the name of that card? How am I drawing a blank on this? I'd probably I'd probably play Mono White Brave the Elements. I'd play I'd play the Mono White Humans deck. I really, really like getting getting frisky with a with a Brave the Elements. So For me in modern, if I wasn't playing Murktide, I would play Emulet Titan. Um I think I think that deck has ways to be built. Kind of like what Mason said, where like maybe you can find ways if if they're not playing subtlety. That you can find a way to beat Murktide. Um, and then for Pioneer, if I wasn't playing Red Black, I, I would just play the ramp deck that I've been working on. Um, the, the Green Red deck, I think that you devour uh, Black Red decks. I think that you have a ton of good matchups. And I, I, I have no doubt, I, we obviously have listeners that have played similar versions based on my deck and stuff like that, but uh, that's the deck I would play. Awesome. Another way to get your question on the show is go to youtube.com and check out the episode in podcast form there. And if you leave a comment, we always pick one of those to read on the show. This time uh, from Soul, our guest on the last week's episode, Soul said, uh, first time recording with a new mic, I adjust my settings. Great chatting, chatting with you all. It's great to chat with you, Soul. Thank you so much for joining on the podcast. I hope the listeners enjoyed uh, that episode with Soul as much as we enjoyed doing it with him. Did I was 
ecstatic like for multiple days after that episode i thought he did a great job i really enjoyed his answer to like my mark died question for example if you haven't listened to that episode you really should yeah i'll never look at green black crypto the super dog mid-range the same again that's right it's a pre-show uh joke for y'all but that is gonna do it for this week's episode of constructed chrism you're gonna make sure to check out the rest of the shows on the network there's common knowledge a popper podcast and then there's drafting archetypes of sam black i imagine sam black is gonna do his uh historic kind of guess how not guess but the, uh, dissect an archetype see how it's gonna draft talk about before the set's even out yet one of the most interesting limited pieces of content for uh, pre-release for that's out there in my opinion and it's really interesting to listen to that at the end and a lot of great learning moments from that see how things play out so you definitely want to check out that as well if you want to support the show but you can't do it financially that's fine you can always like subscribe review and share with your friends if you enjoy that sort of thing uh that helps us a lot and helps get the word out and if someone wants to find you spencer where can they go find me on twitter at spencer each you can find me on the missionary podcast over on the he's game media youtube channel as well as on anchor you can find me on Smash 3 each month. We're doing a tier list episode uh, probably this week for Smash Ultimate right at the end. Uh, you know, there's no more updates coming out for that. And it'll be really interesting. I've already seen my co-host tier list, and they are substantially different. So um, it's going to be really interesting to talk about how Donkey Kong is like bottom five and not, you know, bottom 20. Uh, you can also find me every month on at twitch.tv slash easy media where i'll be doing coverage for our sponsor game grid lehigh what about you Ed? Uh, you can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings uh you can also dm me there to set up uh coaching sessions on hammer time on whatever modern deck you're enjoying uh, on anything fundamental based anything in magic i'm i'm really trying to help people out um the time slots are pretty limited because of uh, my work schedule, but uh, I do have a couple openings still that I would love to help you with. So, If you want to find me, you can find me here each and every week on Control Criticism. You can find me over at Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can find my articles each and every week over at Card Kingdom. Over in the blog section, you got to click on that. It's actually a blog. It's where articles are. It's a misnomer. And if you want to reach out about coaching or the four color cyborg guide, that's an internal thing that gets updated every two weeks. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark there, or reach out my email, Mason E. Clark at gmail.com. And we can get in touch about those. I've got about one spot left for coaching on the regular. So if you're looking to do that, reach out and we can talk about it and see if it's a good fit. And we'll see you all next time for another episode of Constructed Chrism. <laughs>